You're listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Hereford. If you would like to find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. First of all, I'd just like to bring greetings to you from Oasis, uh, the church which Karen and I worship at. And I was in contact with uh, the pastor, Phil Arnold, early hours this morning. And he, uh, thank you so much. The gin always helps. Um, (laughs) And so I bring greetings from the church, expressions of love and unity and stuff like that. Um, I was discipled by a lady called Jean Darnell. Some of you may have known her. And uh, I had the privilege of going through the Bible school that she established in London. And I traveled with her. And uh, one of the things she always drummed into us as young preachers and teachers was, wherever you go to whatever house, he said, you bring the peace of God. You bring the blessing of God. You're there as a privilege. They don't have to have you. They've invited you. You come in and under that house, and you just honor them, and you bless them. Not sure I agree with her. But anyway, <laughs> I, I come, and I, I come in peace, okay? I come, as Buzz Lightyear would say, I come in peace. And I come with a real desire in my heart to love you and to bless you and to deposit something into your lives that will bear fruit and fruit that will last. And I really do honor you for your existence, for your history. I honor you for coming through various times of high mountaintop experiences and enduring the deep valley experiences and the pain and the disappointment and the tragedy, and the rebirthing, and the re-envisioning, and the... I feel a bit like that song, One Wheel on My Wagon, and I'm still rolling along. The Cherokees are chasing me, but I'm still singing my happy song. And I just want to bless you uh, for the unique role that you have in this city. Of course, you would realize that when the Holy Spirit looks at regions, he looks at the whole church. He looked at the church of Ephesus, and Thyatira, and Pergamum, and Sardis, and so on. And it's the church of the region. But within that region, there are different expressions, different emphases. And and I believe that the unique role that you have in leading the city church in so many different ways is special. And it's to be nurtured and to be honored and to be blessed. So Karen and I are here grateful for the opportunity. Grateful. I understand you're doing a theme of the moment called something about the Holy Spirit. And as I prayed about this, uh, I wasn't quite sure what aspect I was to bring. I I think it was about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But as I prayed, the Holy Spirit inspired this message into my heart for you. And I I trust that it will bear fruit in his name. I always find it best to pick up God's agenda for situations, uh, rather than just imposing our agenda on him, the best made plans of mice and men and so on. My first experience with the Holy Spirit was interesting. He frightened the life out of me. I was saved off the streets of London. I lived in Scots. I didn't have a very good background. And when I got saved, the church that I went to, they kept talking about the Holy Spirit and about fire and water and being transformed. And I thought, That has to be the freakiest terminology I could come to terms with. 
From the effects of my background of hallucinogenic drugs, I thought I'd been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. And, and it was like, what the blazes are they going on about? God the Father really frightened me. I didn't know, know God Father. Um, I'd read bits of the Old Testament and he terrified me. You don't upset God. That's what I thought at that time. But Jesus I loved. Jesus for me was the means I came to faith because the church kept me out of the kingdom for 21 years. It was the church that I didn't like. I like you, it's the others I don't like. <laughs> uh, and it was that religious, nonsensical, weird subculture that lives in an ivory tower judging everybody outside its experience. But my man had the wisdom to give me a living Bible when I was going through a nervous breakdown. My life was in shatters. I was filled with fear of every kind. Every day I had major, major panic attacks. I woke up most mornings wishing I wasn't alive because of the fear that dominated. I, I was incarcerated in my family home for 12 months. I was unable to step outside the front door. And it was in that context that my nan bought me a living Bible and I began to read the Gospels. And I fell in love with Jesus the Christ. I didn't fall in love with the church. I didn't fall in love with anything other than him. And what I saw in him was something very different to what I had experienced in church world. I encountered someone in the pages of the New Gospels, someone who healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons for goodness sakes. And what I really loved was he stuffed it to the man. He challenged the religious authorities of the day. And he brought heaven on earth, not just in words, but with demonstrations of power. And I thought, now that's the kind of leader I can follow. That's the kind of God that I want to worship. And on the 7th of September, 1975, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon or thereabouts, I knelt down by the side of my bed with my Uncle Ken and Auntie Rose, and you'll meet them one day, some sooner than later, they're in heaven now. And, 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 and they led me to the Lord. I said the sinner's prayer, and I knew at that moment my sin, which was great, had been forgiven. And I knew that those that had sinned against me, I was able to forgive them. And there was a transformation that began. Now, this was really weird, because my family were like Christian-type people, church people, and they were very good-ists. Whether they were Baptists or Methodists is irrelevant. They were just good-ists. And they, they worried about me for 21 years. Now they're worrying about me because I've got rather radically saved. Because now I'm on London Bridge Station preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, it wasn't good. I'll be honest with you. It, it, it wasn't good. Uh, and I would do staff things like shout at people, you know, even though inflation is going up, the wages of sin remains the same. I'm thinking, seriously? People are going to listen to that? And in actual fact, on one occasion, one foreman, I was in the lecture, and one foreman on site said to me, thing is, Clive, we don't like you. And I thought, well, that's really strange, because I carry Christ. He's within me, and you should like him. And he said, no, we really don't like you, because you come across as holier than thou, and we, we just find you very annoying and irritating, and most of us want to beat you up. Not because of what you're saying, it's who you are, it's you, you, you're, you're the irritating person. 
And so I went back to God and I really had to repent of the nonsensical way I would buttonhole people and get out my black Schofield Bible and quote scriptures to them and things like that. And, and he said to me, I want you to learn how to love people. I want you to actually genuinely love them and not treat them as a target that you can have them as a trophy of war. And there was transformation. But on the 30th of November, 1975, I was invited to go, still suffering from the effects of a nervous breakdown, and I came into this meeting called a squash, <laughs> where after church, you went round somebody's house and you squashed as many young people into the house as you could. And that was better than church, to be honest with you. It was like really squeaky. But I, I was claustrophobic, and I got really a bit panicky in this crowded room, and the speaker that night said, there's somebody here that needs peace, that passes all understanding. And I'm thinking, well, I reckon that I fit that. And he said, if you come to the front now, I will pray with you. And in my mind, I'm thinking, the quickest way to get through this is to go forward, get him to pray where I can go home. And I went to the front of the meeting, and this is the prayer he prayed. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you to baptize Clive in the Holy Spirit. I thought I never signed up for that. And I was, I was like resisting fire and water and wind and tongues. and I was just resisting everything. And he said, I ask you to give him the peace that passes all understanding. I thought, I'll have that. But I'm not sure about that. But it all happened. And I felt these unclean identities come out of me. I felt the roots of fear and uncleanness that I'd opened up myself to through the lifestyle that I was living, through the eye gate and the ear gate, we call them demons. And I felt them leave me on the breath. <sighs> Simple as that. I didn't bite anyone. I didn't growl at them. My head didn't go 360 degrees. I didn't change color. It was just like a, oh. And I felt the peace of the Holy Spirit come into my life and stay there. And he began a healing process in my life, which he was unable to do until those dark entities had dis are gone. I then had to renew my mind. I had to go through a process of inner healing and emotional wholeness. And I began to start believing the Jesus of the Bible that he will do what he promises to do. So we start praying for people, and they get healed. We start releasing people from de demons, and they get saved. I remember going to a church <clears throat> up in the Liverpool area, United Reformed Church, funnily enough, and they didn't believe in anything, really. Uh, in actual fact, the deacon got saved on the first meeting. It was a wonderful meeting. And, and as I'm preaching, so other of the leaders are starting to manifest demonically. And so we set them free, and they said, well, we don't believe in this. I said, well, now you do. <laughs> Jesus is a freedom fighter. So my experience of the Holy Spirit came from one of fear to one of experience to one of utter, utter dependence upon him. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God. In the Hebrew, that is Ruach Elohim. Ruach, 
means breath. Elohim, God, the divine one. Breath of the Almighty. Elohim is a plural term in a singular identity. In other words, it's like people say, I'm going to go to CLC. They understand it as a single identity, but when you get there, it's made up of all of you people. There's a plurality of personality making a corporate personality. And Elohim is that. There is a plurality in the divinity. Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And we understand that the Holy Spirit is not a force, but a person. Although in Scripture is referred to as fire and water and wind and other elements, but he also speaks. In Acts 13, the disciples heard, or they, they wrote down, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I've called them. So Holy Spirit, as a personality, part of the Godhead, speaks. He's also got feelings. The scripture says in Ephesians 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it's possible that we can break the heart of the divine, the Spirit of God, or we can make the divine very happy because he has emotion. And he has a will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, all these, in speaking of the gifts of the Spirit, all of these are work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines his will, his sovereign purpose. He gives severally or singularly just the way he wants it to be. So what does he do? Well, I'll come back to, to Genesis chapter 1, please. He's involved in this creation. It says in Genesis 1 verse 2 that he was hovering or moving over the face of the waters, sweeping, moving, alive and active over the face of the waters. The great implication here in the original language is one of brooding or incubating. I want you to get this picture of this mass of water and the Spirit of God moving, hovering, brooding, incubating, waiting for something to happen. And water, we need to understand in Scripture, can either be good or bad. It's good when we speak of the water of life or the washing of the water or energy of, of the Holy Spirit can be metaphorically understood by, by water. <clears throat> but in Hebrew thinking, the sea or the oceans were not good. They were bad. Because they speak of turmoil and turbulence and chaos and monsters. And man was never designed to live on or in the water, but on the land. So when you see in Scripture, God gave them the land. And God separated the land from the water. So when you understand Hebrew um, illustrative language, when you understand it, you see the water represents hell itself. The hordes of hell on the hordes of darkness. Can you remember the time when Jesus was in the boat, asleep at the back, and the disciples were having a panic attack? They're saying, this is a, a rough translation, okay, from a lad that lived up in Lancashire for, for 23 years. Hey up, Jesus, wake up, don't you care, we perish. And Jesus goes, 
No, I'm not not that bothered, to be honest with you. But look at the wind and look at the waves. And Jesus, for concern for them, just, listen to this, he speaks. He speaks. And the wind and the waves became completely still. Freaked the disciples out. He said they were full of fear because they're like, whoa, whoa, Jesus can control the physical elements. Yes but it was more to do with what those elements represented as the raging oceans, the seas in which they found themselves in, they saw that Jesus had power, not only the natural world, but the unseen world, the powers of darkness, that at his command, they become still and inoperable. Remember Noah? In the days of the flood, where God's hand of restraint is withdrawn and the waters overwhelmingly destroy humanity, bringing chaos and death and destruction. And prior to that, God bringing Noah and his family and the animals into the ark in Genesis chapter 7, where God's righteous people are preserved and carried over the judgment into a new world order. But remember the sea, the waters represent judgment, chaos, turmoil, death, destruction. Exodus chapter 14, we we see Moses having led the children of Israel from under the tyranny of Pharaoh and the slave drivers by the power of the blood of the lamb. And instead of going north, they go south to a place called Pihiharoth. And there they are between the edge of the water. And when they look round, they can see the dust of Pharaoh and all his army coming to take them back into captivity and they were caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. They didn't know what to do. And God said, a clear instruction, Moses, take your staff as a symbol of the authority I've invested in you and stretch it over the waters. Listen to this. During the night, during darkness, the Spirit of God blows on the waters and the waters are parted and the seabed becomes dry land on which they can safely travel from one side through to the other for their destiny. Listen to this. And then God says to Moses, stretch out your hand again, and the waters come in and destroy the Egyptian army. Excuse me. The scriptures tell us in Genesis chapter 1 that the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the earth. The Hebrew there for formless and void is tohu and bohu. Tohu means desolation, to lay waste. Figuratively, something worthless, confusion, empty, without form, nothingness. And bohu means indistinguishable ruin. I want you to get the picture that that was the picture on the face of the earth at the time we're talking of the Spirit of God. But in addition to that, it says, and darkness covered the face of the earth. And that word darkness, the kushek, it means misery, destruction, death, sorrow, wickedness, in the night, obscurity. I want to suggest to us today that the world 
is probably in a similar place. There's confusion. There's pain, suffering, evil. There. It's a Greek term. And it was in this context that the Spirit of God is brooding, waiting, incubating, until the Godhead said, let there be light. Spoke it. And when he spoke it, the Holy Spirit being the activating arm of the Godhead moved into being and created light. And from that moment on, God spoke and creation came into being and the darkness dissipated as the light gave life <clears throat> and energy and creativity to the whole of what was full of darkness and bohu and tohu. Suddenly the divine is breaking through with light because God said it and the Holy Spirit from incubating is now burst into life and action. I want to suggest to you in these days, the Holy Spirit is brooding. He's incubating. He's waiting for God's representatives, the body of Christ, the mouthpiece of God, to say, let there be light. Let there be life. Let there be healing. Let there be deliverance. Let there be these things and something will always happen because I see it in the ministry of Jesus. If Jesus is God incarnate, created of the same stuff that you and I are, this is what the Bible tells us, that God made man from the dust of the earth, created of the same elements as everything else. But he breathed breath, breathed breath, ruach, breath, 